Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, where we bring awareness of sustainable health in the business hustle space. The Natural Health Podcast is perfect for the high-performing business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for friends sharing facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we talk to nutritionist Melissa Finlay. She is a qualified holistic nutritionist who specializes in women's health. She's also a qualified personal trainer and Pilates instructor. Mel works with women to show them how food, nutrition, as well as lifestyle interventions and self-care can unlock a new level of energy and vitality and assists with healing from specific issues like postnatal depletion or diagnosis, women's health conditions like endometriosis. Mel is a mum of two kids and lives with them and her husband, Aiden, in the inner west of Melbourne. Her passion for nutrition was sparked when, after making poor choices in her 20s, she started to make some changes in her own diet and lifestyle and was surprised to find not only did she get a healthier weight, her whole well-being improved, including reversing the painful period problems she put up with for years. Three interesting facts about Mel are that she has two kids, four and one, so they keep her absolutely busy. She loves going to bed Pilates and reformer Pilates classes. And as the self-care to, self-care to herself, she loves taking herself on dates to the movies. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, Mel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. That's right. So what, what movie have you seen recently? Oh, well, because of COVID, it's sort of... A- I haven't really been able to get there. Um, and then post-COVID lockdown, there hasn't really been much on. I think the last thing I saw was actually um, the sequel to Frozen, <laughs> which Beautiful. is embarrassing to say. <laughs> but I just love the, the whole taking myself out of the house, away from everybody, and having that couple of hours sitting by myself, like no distractions, just you know, popcorn, maybe a wine. <laughs> I love that. And so, there's no washing. There's nothing. You can't yeah. get up and go clean. You exactly. can't do this. You have exactly. to sit there. Turn the phone off, everything. It's so good. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm I'm going to go to the Botanicals Moonlight Cinemas this weekend. Oh, so I'm excited so about nice. that. So anyone yeah, in Melbourne, it's on. <laughs> so good. I love it. I love it because you're in nature and it's outdoors. Yeah, and it's absolutely amazing. beautiful. Yeah, love it, love it. So Mel, you've done a lot from your bio. We can see you've, you know, instructor, instructor, nutritionist and so forth, kids, got a whole life going on. (laughs) So what what have been the key turning points in your life to get you exactly where you are today? So I did work in the corporate world for over 10 years um, and it was around the five-year mark working in corporate that I kind of that turning point happened for me when I started to, well, I met my now husband, Aiden. So we worked together in the office, office romance. And um, I was actually a pack a day smoker back then, if you could believe. And he said to me, if, you know, I really like you, but I, I can't really date a smoker. It's, you know, I, he didn't smoke. He didn't like it. And I was like, right. Okay. So I need to either, give up the guy or give up the smoke. So <laughs> I gave up the smoke. <laughs> it was a, it was a very hard, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done is give up smoking. It's a very, very addictive thing. If anyone's um, a smoker, they'll know. 
But what sort of sparked from there was this um, journey of health. So once I stopped smoking and I kind of realized how much better I felt from kicking that habit, I started to look at my diet, which was the next thing that was pretty, um, pretty messed up. A lot of takeaway foods, you know, a lot of nights out after, after work, all that kind of thing. So once I, I kind of just did some simple things to, to fix that up, um, I had better energy. I lost a bit of um, extra weight that I was carrying, carrying around that I really didn't need to be carrying. But one of the surprising things was that I noticed my periods got so much um, more regular and the pain was basically gone. This pain that I'd been carrying around month by month, thinking that it was normal and that everyone goes through this because, you know, my friends were telling me that they have it too. Um, that sort of disappeared for me. And so I realized that there's this connection between, you know, what you, you, what you eat, your lifestyle and your reproductive health. So that sparked the journey for me into nutrition. I wanted to know more and I wanted to figure out how I could help other women to learn the same things that I had in a much more, um, you know, technical kind of way. And I've always thought that I would end up being in a career that I was helping people. And so it just made so much sense to me that this was the path that I would go down. Yeah, beautiful. So you used to work in corporate. What were you doing mm. there? Insurance, like the most exciting topic in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So you had a bit of a key turning point there. I mean, yeah. you hit burnout and a bit run down or was it just not fulfilling you in a sense? of everything very unfulfilled in in what I was doing I loved the people that I worked with um but the actual work itself just wasn't fulfilling for me and I I knew I sort of fell into the corporate world just you know after uni because you know you have to go and find a job and I didn't really know what I wanted to do so that's that's how it all kind of started for me but from the get-go I knew that it wasn't a permanent choice for me it was or, you know, something that I needed to do whilst figuring out who I was and who I wanted to be. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it led you to nutrition. And and I love that mm. you said that the hardest decision was, is it the smokes or is it the guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. And if anyone knows Sex in the City, they know that Carrie makes the same decision with her, Aiden. And my husband's name is Aiden. It's like, I'm Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> You're Sex in the City for Melbourne, huh? <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. So did you go cold turkey when you quit smoking or what did you use anything or was it just? Uh, I've, I had quite a few attempts to quit in the past using, you know, patches, the mm -hmm. gum, all that stuff. And it didn't work for me because I, it was more of a behavioral thing for me. I think it was a real ingrained habit. So I actually read a book called Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Smoking, which it's quite a well-known book if you're trying to quit smoking and it worked for me. But I will say that that you have to want to quit in order for it to work, I think. You really need to have that mindset shift that you're ready to get uncomfortable because um, it is uncomfortable. It affected, you know, my sleep for a long time, um, you know, just the, the, the mind space that it takes up to, to quit that habit. So I tell people that, the way that it went for me was that I would think about cigarettes every minute and then I would think about cigarettes every two minutes and then once an hour, once, 
you know, once every four hours. And it would just, it continued like that until I got to a point where I wasn't thinking about them anymore. Wow. Um, and I, I've never looked at it since. So it's quite a process, I think. Yeah, it definitely is a process. For anyone who's listening who may be going through or know someone, they know what you went through. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. They and get it. trying to replace the habit I found really useful too. So I took up, I'm a terrible knitter, but I took up knitting. I tried to knit a scarf. I've still got half a scarf, half knitted somewhere in the cupboard. Um, but it was, you know, making myself busy, making my hands busy to mm. replace that habit of wanting to go and light up a cigarette. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yes, you've been through a lot through your whole life and that led you to nutrition. I love that. So here on the podcast, talk a lot about success. So and how dif- and how different individuals see success differently, you know, an old version of you would see success differently compared to version of you now. So I wanted to find out what does success look like for Mel right now? For me, it looks like having the balance between work and family life and being able to show up in the way that I want for my kids and my family and for my clients. Um, And in terms of career success, it's really, for me, it's driven by that want to help other women. And as I became a mum, it's really about wanting to help other mums understand how they can really turn their whole life around with food and lifestyle. So if I am getting success for my clients, then I'm getting success for myself. I love that. I love that. So your clients will be happy to hear that because, you know, if their success makes your success, that's absolutely brilliant. That's yeah, what probably it's makes kind of you selfish in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But it makes you a good practitioner because you want to see them succeed. You want to see them thrive. You want to see results in what they're coming out with. Exactly. Exactly right. Brilliant. So you yourself had some issues around your period um, in regards to, mm. so yeah, so with your menstrual cycle. So you, so let's get into today's topic. I mean, period pain and a natural way to provide relief. But, but I guess before we get in there, let's start off with the period. Are you able to give us the 101 on the menstrual cycle? Mm. <laughs> sure. So any like my favorite topic in the world. So yeah. <laughs> let's uh, go. <laughs> all right. So the way that the cycle looks like it's so some people might just think that their cycle is their period but that's not the case there's a lot going on throughout the month until we lead up to that time where we actually bleed so day one of your menstrual cycle is the first day of your bleed um, and that part of the cycle is called the menstrual phase so that's the days that you're bleeding and then that leads to the follicular phase so in this phase what's happening is that one of our female hormones estrogen is slowly building we're building the lining up of our uterus that we're going to inevitably shed um, unless we get pregnant then estrogen sort of peaks around the time that we ovulate so in a textbook sort of cycle it would be around day 14 we know that that's not always the, it's largely not the case for women but just say in that textbook scenario it's around day 14 we'll have a peak of estrogen and we will ovulate so we'll drop an egg um, to be either fertilized or or not so then we move into the luteal phase so in this phase, we, we start to see a decline in the estrogen levels um, and an increase in progesterone levels. So progesterone is a hormone that helps keep the uterine layer, that, that, 
that blood that we're building in place um, until the end of our cycle, we'll see another hormonal shift and that will signal the end of our cycle and we'll start to shed um, that layer, which is our period. And then we go back to day one. So that's what it looks like in, you know, in a best case scenario, but there is a lot of stuff that can go wrong well, not wrong, but it can, there can be variations of what's going on and that can affect how we feel throughout our cycle. And that's what yeah. we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, as a, you know, when, you know, as a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, I wish I knew this. I didn't even mm. know that day one of my period, I uh, sorry, that I, when I bled was day one. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't even know what day one was. All I know is thank God my, you know, my period was regular in my eyes, but Mm. looking back, I'm like, was it really, (laughs) (laughs) you know, was it really regular? (laughs) Because Mm. this, this wasn't really, um, it's not really educated in a way, you know, it's, it's not pushed forward us like, you know, young females aren't really made aware of what I have issued and I have progesterone. So it's really amazing that, you know, you just went through that and as simple as that. And if we could educate, you know, everyone, you know, everyone, even maybe some 30 year olds didn't, don't even know this, you know, to know and understand their menstrual cycle. It's absolutely key. I totally agree. A lot of the time I find with my clients, they tell me that they didn't really know this stuff until maybe they were trying to get pregnant. And you know, you need to know when you're ovulating in order to get pregnant. So that's when they sort of start doing this research. But I agree with you. It's, it's something that should be taught to, to younger girls, not just having the period talk, you know, need to, Um, you know have some pads in your bag or whatever but actually what's going on in your body why do you feel the way that you feel in different parts of your cycle and how you can really support your your cycle through supporting your health yeah and like you said most people do look at it when they're trying to get pregnant because they need to know when they're ovulating Mm. they need to know their cycle and so forth and i love that you said in textbook theory it's day 14 yeah we all know that us women we don't follow the textbook (laughs) theory That's right. I think it's only like seven or eight percent of women actually have a 28 day textbook cycle. So I don't really know why it's been decided that 28 days is the norm because it's really not. There's such a variation on that. Yeah, it's so interesting. Maybe maybe that actually needs to be updated. So when we do go to our practitioners, they say, well, you know, a healthy cycle is between 25 and 29 days, you know, mm. instead of just the 28, yeah. because then you feel like exactly. you're not normal if it's not the 28. Oh, it's not right. It's, you know, yeah. and, then, and then you get stressed and you get anxiety and then your period doesn't come and it's exactly. like an ongoing flow yeah. effect. Yeah, that's right. We should petition for this. <laughs> <laughs> You totally should. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So what can go wrong in quotation marks or what can go, um, you know, pear shaped in a way with our menstrual cycle? So what we see happen sometimes is through different lifestyle variations or diet can play a role as well, that we can see a bit of an imbalance happening between that estrogen and progesterone. So what we want to see is a really nice balance between the two where we have lots of healthy estrogen building in that first half of the cycle, like I said, but then not have it sort of be so much that dominates over the progesterone in the second half of our cycle. Because when that happens, that's when we start to see these issues like PMS, um, period pain, bloating, all that kind of thing. Um, And the other thing that can happen is, and it's sort of, similar in a way that we don't 
create enough progesterone to support a healthy pregnancy if we're trying to get pregnant, but to support things like our mood and to support um, a cycle that is um, deemed, you know, long enough that it would be deemed healthy, which goes back to sort of fertility kind of stuff. Um, so when we see those variations, it can create these issues that a lot of women experience that think are normal. They may be typical, but they're definitely not normal. And there are so many things that we can look at to see why we're having these variations and these imbalances in, in hormones. Mm-mm. So what would it look like if an individual didn't have enough progesterone or had too much estrogen um, mm. like you mentioned in that second cycle, because you said the estrogen goes up in the first phase and then it drops and mm. then the progesterone goes up. So why what, what, is that most of the issues that you see or what, what, what would yeah. happen if that happens? It's a very, very typical thing that I see and it can come down to a few things. So in terms of it's called estrogen dominance when there's too much estrogen going on, that can really be um, – lifestyle related in that you are stressed out all the time your adrenals are working over time but also that your liver is not really supporting healthy estrogen clearance so that can be factors like too much processed food um, too many sort of trans fats or or the fats that we want to avoid sugar is a big one and then things like caffeine and alcohol so anything that puts a load on our liver that our liver has to then start working really hard to, to clear out of our bloodstream. It doesn't then have enough time to get to all of the hormone kind of byproducts that we create when we're creating these hormones and it can't clear it effectively. So there, that's how estrogen can start to dominate. And that's a very typical picture that I see. And I see it in myself all the time when I, I know if I'm having um, you know, some cramps at the end of my cycle, I have a look at what happened throughout the month and I can see, yeah, you know, I didn't maybe treat my body as well as I would have liked to. Um, and with progesterone, definitely the number one cause of low progesterone is stress. So if we're stressed, we are uptaking a lot of the minerals um, so that our body can produce this cortisol, the stress hormone. And so that means that we're not having those minerals in our system to support healthy progesterone production and therefore we end up with low progesterone and the most common sort of symptom I see of low progesterone is anxiety and low moods and that really that drop off in our mood and our increase in anxiety in that seven days prior to our period starting and insomnia that's another big one that I see that women have these few days out of their cycle where they just have trouble sleeping or staying asleep and they wake up um and it just sort of the cycle kind of goes again because we start our cycle feeling tired um we've been through you know this this painful period and whatnot and then we just go back into the cycle of estrogen dominance or low progesterone so we just need to we need to figure out what it is that's going on and then nip it in the bud yeah I love how you explain that in regards to anxiety and insomnia because some mm. individuals might feel totally fine most of the time and all of a sudden they've got these two, three days where they just can't sleep or they're uber anxious and they're kind of like, what happened yesterday or what's happening today? And you can't, it's kind of like that free floating. You can't point yeah. out to what actually occurred. So That's it's right. That's interesting right. that you made that link to to those hormones. I love that. Yeah. And I've, I've seen 
um, an increase in low progesterone results during COVID times because of the stress that it's having on us. Whether we know it or not, it's definitely having an effect on on our, our cortisol levels and our ability to sort of regulate our nervous system and it's having a flow-on effect to our hormones for sure. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in my clients. Yeah. And, and stress is subjective. You can ask someone, are you stressed? And you're like, no, I'm not really stressed. But then, like you said, if they have that sugar, if they have that, their body is stressed. They may not yeah, feel stressed, right? but their body is stressed. That's the thing is yeah, you need to identify exactly. that. You still are stressed, but it's just not. Or you may have adapted to your stress and it's up here and you're just adapted to the yeah. high stress life. And you're like, I'm fine. This isn't stress. This isn't stressful. <laughs> yes, exactly. But then watch what happens when, um, you know, you do some work on your adrenals and everything comes crashing down because you realize that, your body's been working so hard to maintain that level of, of stress in your life. Um, yeah, it's such a common picture, especially for women and particularly for mums, I think, because we have so much going on and we're, because we're nurturers, we take on so much of um, everyone else's stress and problems and we're trying to fix those and we're sort of discounting our own stuff that's going on. It's such a common common thing I see with women. Yeah, yeah, definitely, 100%. I see that too. So you, you, you were mentioning about, um, so you mentioning about, you spoke about PMS and you mentioned, mm. touched upon that a bit. But what is PMS? I know, I know everyone talks about it and you get people laughing, you're making jokes about it, being like, oh, it's just PMS. But what mm. does it look like and why do some individuals get it? So PMS stands for premenstrual syndrome, um, a syndrome being that there's no, um, well, in the medical world, they they deem it not, it's not a disease. It's not something that they can go and test for to say, yep, you have PMS. Um, but it's definitely about that, that imbalance of hormones that affects us in that seven days prior to our period. So it can look like those cramps that we were talking about, bloating, back pain, sore breasts, um, then that low mood mood, anxiety, crankiness, teariness, all of these things play a role in that PMS sort of picture. Um, And it happens because of those hormone imbalances. So whatever's happened in our month and in the sort of three months prior as well, because it has an effect on our, our follicular health. So the health of the follicles that are going to mature and then drop the egg. So if we're stressed out or you know, we're having lots of nights on the wines for the, you know, for three months, it'll actually affect our period, um, you know, three months into the future. So we need to be looking at what lifestyle changes we need to make and what dietary choices we're making that could be contributing to this stress on our body, the stress on our liver, that's, it's, you know, it's having trouble clearing that excess estrogen or where, you know, our body's having trouble producing the right amounts of hormones at the right time in our cycle. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to touch base on what you said about the three months thing, and I'm so glad you brought mm-hmm. that up. And I guess this is why it's key to do preconception care, correct? Yes, totally. A minimum totally. of three months. Minimum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would even say six months minimum. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. You, you want to be planning a pregnancy around healthy follicles that's for sure so if there's like i keep saying stress but it's such a big factor um if there's a lot of stress in your life so it could be work stress financial stress um family stress but then 
like you were saying, stress that we put on our body through the, the choices we make with our food. Um, if you're drinking heavily, if you're consuming a lot of processed foods with not much nutrition in them, lots of sugar, all of these things are going to contribute to the health of your follicles that are going to mature and then drop um, as drop that egg. So we want to have the best the best possible egg health we can for that month that we're going to conceive. Um, so it's definitely definitely a conversation that needs to be happening with women who are planning a pregnancy for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm glad you mentioned that. But yeah, PMS doesn't sound like fun. But I guess for some people, it's it's the norm, isn't it? I mean, individuals who may have got their period when they're 12, 13, and now they're in their 30s, they may have put up with this for so many years, thinking that. It's just the way my body is. It's just Mm. normal. Everyone else gets, you know, PMS and specific period pain, you know, Mm. but, but it's not normal, right? Why do period, why do women get period pain and what's the most common cause? And is it normal? Like, is it something that we should put up with? We definitely shouldn't put up with it. And I think what, what tends to happen or what I see happening with women is that they maybe they do go to their doctor and complain of you know period pain and other symptoms and the answer that the the doctor gives them is to go on the pill to just get rid of it altogether so what they're essentially doing is shutting down their hormones this I don't think is necessarily explained that well to women when they do go on the pill for reasons other than you know just preventing pregnancy um acne is a pretty common one that I see that people have being put on the pill to to fix but what it's actually doing is um just shutting down those hormones so just sort of putting a band-aid on the underlying whatever's going on um so in answer to your question about period pain and cramping it's estrogen dominance that's the most common cause of of those cramps um and what's happening is that because of the inflammation that's going on in our body it's inflaming it's inflaming number one the lining of our uterus so that when we do start to to have contractions to shed that lining of um, our uterus it causes pain and then that inflammation is also causing those those hormonal drivers um, and switch on something called prostaglandins so we we have prostaglandins that are kind of like signalers to start our uterus making these contractions to shed but then if we've got all this inflammation going on we can switch on too many and then that can cause the pain so the prostaglandins there that's a natural part of um, shedding the lining of our uterus and it's something that plays a, a role when we're giving birth as well so you can see you can kind of see the correlation as you know period pain can mimic my like mild contractions in in birth because of those prostaglandins so it's all about that inflammation picture and um, dealing with that hormonal imbalance that is estrogen dominance. Yeah. And you spoke about the pill a bit. I would love to touch a little bit on that. You're saying it mm. acts just mm. like a Band-Aid. So those individuals who got put on a pill a few years ago or recently, so does that mean that, you know, they're on the pill, right? And you're talking about the estrogen and the progesterone going out of balance, does that mean the pill just puts a Band-Aid on it and then the estrogen and the progesterone are still out of balance? So what happens when we go on the pill is whatever hormone imbalances we're going on, we're just effective, effectively shutting those off. So we just sort of flatline our hormones altogether. 
And so when we have um, a bleed on the pill, it's not technically a period because we haven't ovulated because we haven't had these, um, this cycle of hormones that signal to our brain to, you know, to drop that, to drop that egg. So what it is effectively doing is just covering up whatever issue is underlying. So just for example, if it was somebody that had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, so that's an issue with um, not being able to mature those eggs to drop. So they might have, um, you know, unformed um, cysts going on and issues with their hormones in terms of too much um, testosterone and other agents, so the male sort of hormones. We're not addressing why that's actually happening and we're just shutting it all down. So then if they were to come off the pill, for example, 15 years later to try and get pregnant, they're going to find that those issues that were causing acne, were causing heavy irregular periods when they were 16, it's still happening now and it's actually preventing them from having a healthy pregnancy. So that's what I mean by a Band-Aid because it's fixing the issue for the short term because, you know, you're getting rid of the pain, you're getting rid of the acne, the the irregularities that are going on, but it's not addressing what's happening for you underneath all of that so that you can actually, you know, have a healthy reproductive cycle. Yeah. And, I mean, the individuals when they come off the pill, it usually takes a few months, if sometimes not years, for them to Mm. actually balance those hormones. And most individuals don't go see, you know, a healthcare practitioner to assist them with that, which means it might even take them longer to get assistance with that. That's it, yeah. I see that quite a bit where it does take a few months for them to see a a reappearance of their actual period and sometimes not at all until we start doing some actual work on rebalancing those hormones. Um, It's called post-pill syndrome where you know, they come off the pill and they'll experience a real surge in things like acne, um, no period, painful periods, irregular periods. It's because their body's now trying to sort of re-circuit, reboot what's going on um, and create the right amounts of hormones at the right time. And it can be really difficult. Some women get lucky in it, you know, they come off the pill and it's fine, but then there are the others. They're the ones that we would see um, that are having real issues with that. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely something to consider when you're going on the pill. Yeah. And I mean, talking about the pill doesn't just do that. It also depletes us of a number of vitamins and minerals. Exactly. Yeah. And, and wreaks havoc on gut health too. And these are things that just aren't, aren't told to, to women in the GP office. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of, but I mean, look, I can understand when you go in as a 16 year old and you know, your face is filled with acne and then someone says this pill will fix it as if you're mm. as a 16 year old, you care, you know, about your skin. I mean, you know, you still do, of course. but it's kind of like, okay, I'll take that. But if we sat them down and I said, this is the side effects that may occur, then mm. it's a lot more like, okay, I remember taking that, but I remember them telling me that this is what might happen. Or even yeah. better off, they come and see a natural health practitioner and they help them with their skin without causing havoc all over their body, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you're right. I understand it too. And and maybe if, if the 16-year-old is given all of the information, they would still make the same choice, but that's mm. okay because they're making an informed decision about their body. So that's that's where I kind of get my back up a little and have an issue with with um, the pillars that the side effects and what's actually happening to your body is not 
really explained to the mm. women, you know, especially the 16-year-old that's going in for the pill for the first time. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I did mention 16-year-old, but there are also, you know, late 20s or 30-year-olds, women mm. who are realising that they may have endometriosis or something along those lines. And then the first thing that the doctor says, it would be like, it would be really good to get a marina in you, it would be really good to get the pill in, yeah. in and things like that. But is that the answer? Probably not. No, especially not if you're planning a family down the track. Um, yeah. It can just just delay that whole that whole thing. So, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So, back to period pain, right? So, individuals who have period pain, you can, you know, their bag, their bag's full of other pads and so forth. But they also have ibuprofen, Panadol mm. in their bag, in their car in their office it's everywhere so when that time of the month comes they can just go and grab it pop the pill but what impact does this have on our body while we have our periods and is it the answer to take these ibuprofen and panadol and so forth Mm. well i mean i completely understand why women you know need to take pain medication to relieve their cramps because it's you know we're expected to still show up to work still show up to school get on with life, but it can be really quite debilitating. So, you know, of course you're going to take something that's going to help you with that. What's what's happening when you're taking ibuprofen or, or paracetamol or something is that you're, you're basically, basically shutting off the signals from the brain um, that you've got this pain. Um, but with as with any medication that you take, we're putting more strain on our liver. So our liver needs to work hard to you know, detox from this, this drug that we're putting into our bloodstream. So there's that. So that means that, you know, that cycle of having a a liver that's clogged up with having to clear off all this other stuff before it gets to these hormones that need to be balanced out. There's that issue. Um, But also it's just masking what's actually going on underneath. So for my clients with period pain, I like to use natural, natural sort of relievers like magnesium is my favorite because it it helps to um relax muscle and so the uterus is a muscle um and whilst it's contracting away you know and causing that pain if we if we put magnesium into the picture it can help to just relax that that muscle and create more of a a nice um you know a nicer feeling for the client but it's really for me working with women it's about figuring out those underlying issues so that we can tackle next month's period pain or the month after's period pain rather than trying to um you know just eradicate the pain right here right now it's really about doing all of that groundwork so that we can have continuous monthly healthy cycles with no pain and therefore not having to really you go to the cupboard and get the ibuprofen out yeah I love that you made the link towards the liver because like you said earlier, why do we have estrogen dominance? Because the liver may not be working as well. So you've got your estrogen dominance. Your liver is not working that well. You're taking the ibuprofen Mm -hmm. and you're putting more strain on your liver, which means your estrogen actually increases. So you're actually kind of making it a bit worse in a sense, right? That's it. That's it. Exactly. And one other tip I'll, I'll give in terms of estrogen clearance is um, to utilize cruciferous vegetables. So things like broccoli, cabbage, kale, what they've got something in them that helps that the liver specifically detox from um, estrogen. So that's something that I get all my clients to start looking at is where can they 
put cruciferous vegetables into their diet to, to really give that liver a boost. And of course, there's supplementation and things that we can use to really give it a kick up the bum that it might need to, to get going. Mm. Um, but in terms of natural ways that we can do that, definitely cruciferous vegetables is something that you can look at. Yeah, you jumped the gun. I was going to ask you what supplements <laughs> or foods are able to take care of, you know, acute relief for their pains mm. and period or even long-term. I mean, acutely, you know, you, you mentioned a bit of magnesium, but I'm guessing the vegetables and the food will be a bit more long-term. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah. The, the, the food changes is the long game. Magnesium helps in the short term, but also magnesium. It's so important. Um, it's an important mineral to, to be replacing into your body if in times of high stress because we start to deplete in magnesium and then that can have a flow-on effect onto our hormones as well. We can start to see things like acne and period pain reappearing. Yeah, yeah. So we've got magnesium, we've got cook. I can never pronounce that <laughs> word. Or broccoli, cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> I always skip that word because I'm like, oh, I know, I know what it does. I know it's the broccoli that's good and the cauliflower. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but, look, cauliflower rice is hit off. So, I mean, mm. if you've got period pain, get some cauliflower rice happening Go with your um, dinner or lunch. It's absolutely amazing. Is there any other supplements? I mean, look, if someone has period pain right now, right, mm. or is their periods coming and they've got period pain, like what can they do? What can they do in regards mm. to relief? I mean, they want co- in- instant relief, but look, we've said there's other ways to do it than just taking the ibuprofen. There's other ways to do it than just taking the pill. But then mm. what what are the other ways? So in terms of instant relief, other things that you can look at is actually not, not necessarily supplementation, but things like um, some gentle yoga poses. So there's specific yogas. You can um, you can go and do a Google search on which poses help promote blood flow to the uterus and that in turn helps to relieve menstrual cramps. One of my favourites is legs up the wall where you just lie on your, on your back and you put your legs up the wall. Um, and so that that's um, helping blood flow to the uterus. And if you do some deep breathing where you kind of envisage your breath going to your uterus uterus that can really help as well um but yeah yin yoga is really great for relieving menstrual cramps and then heat so we all know about the water bottle on the on the tummy to to relieve cramps and that actually works because it helps to again relax that muscle while it's doing its work um, to relieve those menstrual cramps so there are a few things that you can do in the moment um to, to relieve menstrual cramps in terms of the long game um, we have to I have to again mention stress so if you've got stress in your life figure out a way to start relieving that stress so is it going to a yoga class every week doing some self-care practices like me going off to the movies or um, you know a, a nice bubble bath which is a bit cliche but that can work for some people but finding what works for you to really get that stress level under control because if you've got constant increased cortisol going on your body which is the stress hormone it so high cortisol equals high estrogen they one sort of um, bounces off the other and drives up the other so that is something else that really needs to be addressed outside of supplementation outside of um, you know quick fixes and then in terms of supplementation there are things on the market that you can get over the counter that has those components of cruciferous vegetables um, to help with that liver detoxification. And then there's the practitioner kind of graded 
supplements that have the high elements of those that need to be taken, you know, with with the, the um, guidance of a practitioner so that you know that you're getting the right dosage. Um, there's there's other herbal sort of ones out there as well that, um, you know, I won't, I won't go into because I'm not a herbalist and I think keeping it general speaking, um, supplementation is something that you can explore but with a practitioner is more recommended, I think, because we can really tailor what needs to be going in um, after we do some testing and see what's actually going on underneath. Yeah, 100%. And, and the thing is, is, you know, a lot of individuals may be listening and be like, I tried magnesium, it didn't help. But the question is, is what magnesium did you try? What dosage at what time? Mm. And this is where working with a practitioner, they specialize it for you because it might be different for you compared to someone else. Exactly right. Yeah, it's so interesting because when you go to the shops and you see like, you know, this is so stereotypical, but you see a woman, you know, putting, going to the shops and seeing like pads and, and chocolate and chips and things like that. And you're like, <laughs> you know what's happening? Well, we should, what we should do is actually change that around and have have that, but then have the broccoli, have the broccoli, the cauliflower yeah. there. And you're like, this girl's looking after herself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. That's so true. Yeah, it's kind of, and, and I guess the you know the chocolate thing comes from the magnesium. Our body craves exactly. it because it's kind of like well, yeah. we need that magnesium. That's right. And if you're if you're someone that craves salt, um, I would say have a look at your adrenal function. And again, that comes back to stress and how can you support those adrenals? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, for me, it's corn chips. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not chocolate. I don't touch chocolate, but corn chips any day. So adrenal function, a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go, go fix those adrenals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been pretty blessed in the sense of that I don't really have period pains, but I have been around people and have dealt with people who have hardcore period pains, and it's deliberating. I mean, people can't go to work, people can't drop off their kids, they can't go to the shops. They literally need to stay in bed. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's terrible, but there's so many things that we can do. If it if it is debilitating like that, I would say that you definitely need to go and advocate for yourself with your doctor and then start asking questions around testing for things like endometriosis. Um, because yeah, a little bit of period pain, sure, you know, we can we can tackle that. Severe period pain, we need to dive deeper and see what's going on. Yeah. Can we touch base a little bit about testing? So yes. if you needed to get some testing done, what would be the 101 testing that, you know, you kind of wouldn't need to get done if you have deliberating period pain? Uh, so what I look at is your estrogen levels and your progesterone levels specifically to see if there's any of that dominance going on or if we're producing enough progesterone. The timing of that test um, is important so that we can see um, what's going on at the end of your so just testing willy-nilly is really not going to show us much. Um, so again, like those sort of tests best done with a health practitioner like us so we can advise you of that and organise those tests for you. Um, if you're someone who's suffering debilitating period pain and really, really heavy periods, I would suggest speaking to the doctor about that and getting something like a pelvic ultrasound done as an initial inquiry to see if we can see anything going on because um, there are some conditions like endometriosis, although we'd need to dive for, into further testing for that. Um, but, um, you know, in pelvic inflammatory disease, I can't think of exactly what that 
um, is called. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. there are a few different things that we should be looking at to just make sure to rule out before, um, yeah, just to rule them out so we know that if if it is that or if it's not that and that would sort of change the course of, of treatment as well. Yeah. So I guess the key point there is to investigate before putting mm. anything inside of your in your body or anything like that. It's just to investigate mm. what what's actually bringing this on. Yeah. If anything, just so that you're not wasting money on supplements that aren't actually doing anything for you. Um, which I see a lot with women. They've you know they've tried like evening primrose or they've tried you know a few of the other things out on the market, but they don't actually know why they're trying that. They don't know you know the the underlying things that go on that would make that the appropriate choice for them. Um, So that's, again, why we're working with a health practitioner. That's a great point. That's an absolutely great point. And even if it is working for you, why is it working? What does that mean? Mm, Did you have this? Did you have that? Even the other way. So I love that you mentioned that because, you know, you might be taking this, that, but why is it not working? Why is it working? What is actually happening down there? Like what's what's the root cause? Yeah, and fixing that root cause so that when you stop taking that supplement, the same thing just doesn't start again. You know, we supplements are, are great for um, realigning nutrient levels, things like that. But if we're taking them to relieve something like menstrual cramps, um, that's all well and good, but we need to address those root causes as to why that's happening so that we can eradicate it for good. Because you don't want to be taking tablets every day, for, you know, if you don't have to. Yeah, 100%. absolutely love that. And an interesting point that I read the other day was that some companies that are run by females are actually giving um, like one day off a month if you have excruciating pain for like endometriosis, period pain and things like that, that women can take, which I think is like absolutely amazing. But take that day to investigate what is happening. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. Get off to the doctor, book that appointment with that nutritionist or naturopath and figure out what's going on or, you know, take it as a self-care day as well. Do something that's just for you to relieve that stress. Yeah. So imagine like, yeah, if you work for that company, you used to take days off because you had your period pain, but now you've got it fixed and now you can take that day off to go to the movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's absolutely brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. So you've mentioned some supplements, some foods, you've spoken about some practical tips like warmth and, um, you know, the yoga poses and so forth. Is there anything else that is a little secret to ensuring that our periods run as smooth as possible? Or I think that that's a fair few, you know, Mm. hints right there. Some few tips that individuals can take off and yeah, get their period fixed. My, I guess the, the thing that I um, encourage everyone to do who is experiencing period pain, maybe they don't experience it every month. So I would say if you are, if you're in the middle of a, if, if you're in the middle of a painful period, look back over that 30 days and then look back over that three months and figure out what is different. Is it stress levels? Is it that you've been going through drive through Maccas a few too many times? Is it, you know, what is it that's maybe driving that pain and then set about ways to go and fix that. So is it that you need to start um, planning your meals for the week a bit better so that you've got healthier choices to make? Um, Is it that you need to book in for those yoga classes so that you commit to going? What is it that you can do um, to fix those things that you can see are affecting the end of the month for you? 
Yeah, it's an ongoing practice. It's not just when you yeah. have your pain. It's you exactly. know, especially with your stress levels. It's you have yeah, to book it in. Get your calendar, late. book it That's in. Self care days. Um, and yeah. I know it's hard, like you said, especially for moms, carers, mm. business owners. I mean, anyone. We all have twenty four hours a day, and we all have the responsibilities that we take on. But you said it right. We need to take that time for ourselves to reduce. Uh, I mean, who would have thought going to the movies will reduce your period pain? Like, but it does. <laughs> or watching that movie, or yeah, exactly, you know, or laughing, or yeah. you know, getting your nails done, or something is going to assist with that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anything that you can do as well to be um, bring mindfulness practices into your day. So a bit of meditation or journaling, um, listening to music, something that takes you out of all the worries of. Um, what's going on in your life into the here and now I find yeah. that really helpful as well yeah. for reducing that stress and that cortisol and I know what's going through the audience head I don't have time for that no you do have if you don't have time for that you need to, to double it, it. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you need to make priorities in your life if if it's something that you really want to work on then you need to prioritize it yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent well, Mel, we've kind of come to the end of this podcast. I absolutely love what you shared with us. You shared so many little goodies about period pain. We've got the 101 on the menstrual cycle. We've got the estrogen, pedestrian imbalance that they need to be balanced. We've got so many little hints and tips, magnesium, working on your liver and so forth. To, so to finish off, I ask all my guests, as this is the Natural Health Podcast, what is your best kept natural health hack, Mel? Mm. Oh, what is it? <laughs> I don't know that I have have one because I, I really feel like it's the long game for um for your health. But I guess one hack it well, I've already shared it, it's gotta be the magnesium. If if you yeah. take a good quality magnesium supplement, and I, I would normally suggest a powdered supplement every day, you will find that you sleep better. Um, you wake up rested, you have better periods and your stress levels are reduced. So that would be my number one for sure. I, I love Go magnesium. and find yourself a good quality product. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Magnesium does wonders. I could talk for days around oh, magnesium. Yeah, it's my favourite. i love that i love that wonderful well individuals who are listening are like oh my gosh i have period pain i need it fixed i want to go see mel how can they contact you what's the best way sure so my website for sure so that's um melissafinlaynutritionist.com no iu and instagram is where i share a lot of different tips and um you know you can learn more about me there so that's at melfinlay underscore nutritionist Beautiful. And I'll put that all in the show notes so they'll be able to access it and they'll be able to get in touch with you and get their period pain on track. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I love that. So look, is there anything else that you want to say before we come to the end of this podcast, Mel? Uh, Just if you're, if you've got period pain, go figure it out what's driving it um, so that you can fix it and come and see me if you need some help. Amazing. Great. Thank you for joining us at the Natural Podcast. And remember, the missing link between failure and success is your health.